All right. Well, hey, good morning, y'all. Man, I've, I just got to tell you, y'all are bringing the heart and the, the voices this morning. And man, I was blessed. Well, how incredible to, to stand back and hear the people of God sing about all, all my days. You have been faithful. Um, man, y'all blessed my heart. Thank you for uh, jumping in this morning. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm ready to eat now. Jake's been talking about Thanksgiving all morning. Happy birthday, happy anniversary, whatever it is. Man, I'm just glad that y'all are here. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in the series called Stand Firm, and we are in Ephesians chapter 6, the conclusion of the small New Testament uh, letter. Paul comes to the conclusion. He's talking about living the Christian life, and he comes to the subject matter of spiritual warfare. The fact that we all fight the spiritual battle in our lives. In fact, last week we talked about the fact that there's a real battle. It's a spiritual battle. And like we sang just a few minutes ago, that battle belongs to the Lord. It's not a, a battle against flesh and blood, against others, uh, against people we don't like or don't agree with. Man, it's a, it's a spiritual battle that's taking place. That's an unseen battle. And when we follow Jesus, we follow him into war. We follow him into this battle. And there is a real enemy. God's enemy is, is our enemy. There's also the good news is that there's a real victor. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous, who we've been singing about and singing to this morning. And he is the victor. His victory came at the cross and through his resurrection. And the incredible thing we saw last week in Romans 16, that he is going to crush the head of the enemy under our feet. And so we get to share in the victory of, of Christ. But I want to remind you this morning as we jump into Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't go into battle in our own strength. We don't go into battle in our own strength. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so I don't know what your week has looked like. Maybe you've been fighting battles in your world, in, in your personal life. And maybe you're, you're, you've come to this Sunday beat up and beat down and weak because you've been fighting the battles in your life in your own strength. And I want to encourage you this morning and remind you of the truth of Scripture that you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might because he is the victor and he is the strong one and we get to rest in his strength. And as we come to, to, to spiritual warfare in our lives, there is a goal for us that Paul lays out in Ephesians 6. The goal is that we would stand firm in the midst of opposition. In fact, Ephesians 6, if we just move on in this passage, verse number 11 and we've read this the last few weeks, but Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So the goal in warfare and spiritual warfare is to stand firm. Now, listen, when we put our faith in Jesus, what happens is God calls us into his mission and he sends us into the world on mission. And, and the mission is to advance the kingdom of God. And so the battle is really around the souls of men and women who need the light of the gospel. And so God sends us, Christ sends us on this offensive mission. And I don't mean like, hey, let's offend everybody that we can, right? The gospel is, is offensive, but he sends us on this offensive mission to advance the gospel. But as we really seek to pursue the Lord and to live for the mission that he's called us to, what happens is we will face opposition in our lives. And what we are called to do is, is to stand firm, which is a defensive position. All right, he's called us to go on the offensive to advance his kingdom, but as opposition comes, we are to stand firm, which is a defensive position. It, in other words, it means to resist or to stand your ground. And as we said last week, and as we've already talked about and sung about, we are able to stand firm in victory in Christ because he has already won 
the victory. And so let me read you a quote from Watchman Nee. I read, I read you some quotes from him a couple weeks ago, uh, a Chinese uh, Christian who's written some amazing things. He said this, For our part, we need not struggle to occupy ground that is already ours. In Christ, we are conquerors, nay, more than conquerors. In him, therefore, we stand. Thus, today, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. We do not fight in order to win, but because in Christ, we have already won. Overcomers are those who rest in the victory already given to them by their God. And so this is an offensive mission that we've been called to, but this is a defensive position to stand firm. We can stand firm in Christ because he's already won the victory for us. And I, I want to jump right in here um, because we're, we're talking about the armor of God. And we need to uh, put on, as Paul says, the whole armor of God. Uh, Romans chapter 13, another passage that talks about this idea of putting on the armor of God. Romans 13, Paul says here that the night is far gone. He's telling us what time it is. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And I want you to catch what Paul is saying here. He says in verse 12, to put on the armor of light because we live in the daytime. So don't walk in these, these, these works of darkness, but put on armor of light. And then in verse 14, he says, but put on not the armor of light. He says, put on what? What's he say? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so to put on the armor of light is, is really to put on Christ. It's to put on Jesus. And I want to read you another quote here by a man named Pastor Garrett Kell. And what's so incredible about this, and this opened my eyes. I read this post from Desiring God. And he, he talks about how... how um, when we, we, we talk about every piece of armor that we put on, and it's really a picture, it exemplifies the person of Jesus, every single piece. And so listen to this quote, it'll be on the screens as well. Paul wasn't using a contemporary illustration to explain spiritual warfare. He was reminding the Ephesians of the prophet Isaiah's presentation of our warrior king. So listen to it. The afflicted, Take courage because a spirit-filled Savior girds himself with a belt of truth to speak on their behalf, Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. God's people erupt with singing because the Lord is coming with shoes to pronounce gospel peace, Isaiah 52, verses 1 to 10. The Savior enters evil's darkness with a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation to deliver his people from oppression, Isaiah 59, 17. The Lord's servant speaks words like a sharp sword, bringing salvation to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 49, 1-6. And it is to this Savior that King David flees to be shielded by faith during his enemy's attacks, Psalm 18, 29-42. So when we talk about putting on the armor of God, we're talking about putting on Christ, and, and every piece of armor literally points back to our Savior, our warrior King, And so to experience victory, we've got to put on Christ, the whole armor of God. So a number of years ago, I remember when I was in college, okay, it's been a while, uh, a while ago, I remember there was a guy, a classmate of ours, and his name was Bobby. And he was nicknamed by all of his kind, loving Christian classmates, he was nicknamed Bobbio. Okay, um, has anybody ever heard of the guy Fabio by any chance? Does that ring a bell? He was like an old, like heartthrob, you know, big chested guy with the long flowing hair on the cover of like romance novels and all that kind of junk, Fabio. And so Bobby was, he looked the exact opposite of Fabio, all right? He was, he was a little, you know, round, you know? He was, he was, and he didn't take care of himself super well. He was a great guy, but, you know, his, his classmates called him Fabio. 
playing off of Fabio. And uh, he would wear this T-shirt. It was like this old tattered T-shirt that you could tell he wore a lot because it was just worn out. It was getting holes in it. But the T-shirt said, don't fight naked. And when you saw it on Fabio, you're like, ah, bad images coming into my, into my mind. Why are you doing this? And you're like, what is the deal with this? And this is so funny. So I, I found this on Google. By the way, don't Google, don't fight naked. You don't know what you're going to come up with. I, so I Googled armor of God, don't fight naked t-shirt. And I found an image of this t-shirt. And you know the way it was listed? It said pre-owned vintage Christian t-shirt, which just means like old used t-shirt for sale on the internet. All right? And so I, I found this and I was like, wow, it's, it's actually on the internet. Don't fight naked. But if you can see, there's like some fine print there. It says, see back. And at this point, I'm like, I don't want to look at your back, Bobby. All right? But when he would turn around, you see the back of his t-shirt. It said, put on the full armor of God. And then use some, you know, great 90s clip art <laughs> to display the full armor of God. And I was like, oh, okay, here's what you're saying. You don't go into battle naked, right? You put on the armor of God. So, for instance, a football player doesn't go into a game without his, you know, shoulder pads and his helmet. Tony Stark doesn't go into battle without his Iron Man suit, Right? A Christian, a follower of Jesus, doesn't go into battle without putting on the armor of God. Don't fight naked or you're going to get taken out, right? This, this was the idea behind this. And so when we look at Ephesians 6, over the next few weeks, what we're doing is we're looking at what Paul calls the whole armor of God. And we're going to consider it piece by piece over the next few weeks so that you and I, don't have to fight naked, all right? So today we're going to talk about the belt of truth, the belt of truth. Ephesians 6, the next, very next verse, Ephesians 6, verse 14. A very brief phrase here, but Paul instructs us. Again, he starts with stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And then he quickly moves on to the next piece. But what, again, what we're going to do is we're going to take each week and we're going to kind of unpack what is the belt of truth. How do we put on the belt of truth? And so that's where we're going to start this morning with the belt of truth. And in different translations of the scriptures, this, this phrase is, is translated differently. Uh, you'll see in one translation, it talks about the belt of truth being buckled around your waist. In the NIV, uh, the New American Standard, it, it translates it, having girded your loins with truth. This is my favorite, all right? Gird your loins. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the New King James uh, talks about having girded your waist with truth. And so let's, let's talk about this, this phrase that I, that I love, gird your loins, all right? Now, don't get super uncomfortable because this is a biblical phrase. All right, so we're going to talk about that. I know we just talked about being naked, and now we're talking about girding your loins. What is your problem, Andrew? Um, so gird your loins. What are we talking about? What are your loins, all right? <laughs> your, your loins, if we're going to consider uh, that part of our body, it's really from like our, our hips to maybe lower ribs. It's, it's kind of the the part of our body that we would today call our core, right? It, it's, it's, it's kind of regarded as the, the seat of physical strength. So that includes, you know, this doesn't mean to be fit and strong, you have to have a six pack, but like your strength comes from your core, which includes, you know, your, your lower back, this whole central area. So the loins is this, this central area, your core, it's your, your, your seat of physical strength. Whenever I think about this phrase, gird your loins, my mind goes back a few years. Um, when I celebrated my 40th birthday, I had to do something fun. And I may have mentioned this before, uh, but I have to break this out at least once a year, all right? Uh, I jumped out of a plane. I went skydiving, all right? So this is a picture of me, 13,000 feet or so in the air. If you ever doubted that I'm actually Asian, there's proof, all right? Uh, <laughs> which I think everybody that jumps out of a plane looks like an Asian, all right? Um, so that's me uh, having a lot of fun jumping out of an airplane, um, but something important took place before this, okay? The guy uh, on my back there, my, my tandem partner, his name was OJ, and before we got to this point, uh, he was strapping me up uh, so that we could, you know, do this tandem thing. And so I was like, OJ, I just met you five minutes ago, but now you're messing around with stuff, and I'm putting my life in your hands at 13... 1,500 feet. Um, so 
I hope you're trustworthy, right? But what he's doing here is he was strapping me up and he was, he was literally girding my loins, all right? And he was, I mean, he was cinching that bad boy up pretty tight, but I was like, you know what? My life is in your hands. Gird away, young man, gird away, all right? And he was strapping that on tight because he was preparing me for what was getting ready to take place. Because if, man, if that thing wasn't fastened right, like I'm plunging to my death. And so this was this idea of preparing me for action. That, that phrase, gird your loins, literally means prepare for action. And this is what is, is taking place here. Now, when you think about a, a Roman soldier and, and the belt that they wore, um, he, he, we're going to put up a picture of uh, probably a pretty good representation of a, a Roman soldier's armor, okay, and you can see in the middle that, that belt, which is, you know, around the waist. Um, there's some protective, you know, parts there to protect the old loins, right? So this is kind of what a Roman soldier's uh, uh, armor might look like, uh, and Paul was in the custody of Roman soldiers when he's writing this, so maybe he's imagining this, but for me, in 2021, when I imagine the armor of God, I don't want to imagine that so much. I imagine the armor of God looking more like this, that, right? Okay. So uh, I tried to Google the Mandalorian armor of God, but nobody's come out with that. So uh, he doesn't have a shield, um, but he does have a baby Yoda. All right. Next best thing. So um, the armor of God, we're going to go piece by piece. We're going to talk about the belt of truth today. And so when you think about this belt, it was a, a belt or another fun word. We're just breaking out all kinds of fun words today. A girdle, all right? which I thought was just something that women wore until my son played football. And it's like, I need to buy a girdle. I'm like, you need to what? You need to buy a girdle. It's this, it helps cover this, this core part. It protects the core. And it wasn't, it wasn't a weapon, but it was the, the first and the central piece that, that a soldier would put on. In fact, it was, it was essential to help keep all of the other pieces or parts of the armor secure, secure and in place. And, and we'll look at those pieces of armor in the following weeks. But this, he had to have that, that belt uh, on around the waist. And in fact, it, it would hold the sword. And again, we'll see in a few weeks, the sword of the spirit is another one of those pieces that were to, to wield. But but the belt is essential to this whole armor. Like I said, gird up your loins. It means literally prepare for action. And so what would happen is, is these Roman soldiers would have these kind of longer tunics. And when it was time to fight, like it's, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe not. But it's hard to fight when you're wearing a dress. All right. I don't know if some of you ladies have experienced that, but they would gird up their loins. So what they would do is they would take the tunic and they would kind of cinch it up almost almost kind of like a diaper, right? And then they would tuck it into their belts. And this would allow them to run and to move freely. They would allow them to prepare for action. So when it was time to go into battle, they would gird up their loins. And so this is what the belt, uh, what, it, what it did. It was a central piece of equipment, held everything together, and it prepared them for battle. It prepared them to fight. So when we think about the belt of truth, here, here is the picture that God is giving to us. The truth is like a belt that holds our lives together. It's a central piece to, to hold our life together and it prepares us to fight. It prepares us to battle. It is having this truth fastened around the center, the core part of our life. This is, is what a belt of truth looks like. So just a bonus, some bonus tips. If you're still looking for a gift to buy your significant other for Valentine's Day, go buy a belt or a girdle, all right? It'd be super flattering. You're welcome. Okay, moving right along. How do we, so how do we put on the belt of truth? How do we put on the belt of truth? Three, three things, we're gonna walk through these. First, receive the word of God as truth, then stand on truth, then walk in truth. So I just want to walk through these over the next few minutes. Number one, receive the word of God as truth. So it begs the question, if we talk about truth being like a belt, well, what is truth? And in, in, in our day, in our generation, this is, this is one of those big questions of life. What is truth? You have your truth and I have my truth, is that what we're talking about? No, no, no. No, there is, there is objective truth 
to be known, and it's the word of God. And so if we're going to fasten on the belt of truth, it means that we believe that, that God's word, the Bible, is, is truth, and we're going we're gonna to build our life on it. We're going to submit ourselves to it. We've got to receive the word of God as truth. John 14, 6, a, a verse we've seen so many times, but, but here we're told that truth is first a person. In John 14, Jesus says that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the truth. And so Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh comes and he says, I am truth. I am truth. But then in John 17, later he's praying in John 17, 17, and he tells us that the truth isn't just a person. Truth is, is written. In John 17, he prays, sanctify them, all of those who follow you. Lord, sanctify them in the truth. What is the truth? He tells us, your word is truth. What you have written, what you have revealed to us in the scriptures, your word is truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones was an old Welsh pastor who ministered in England, and he said this. He said, you must gird yourselves and your loins with truth. If you do not, you are defeated. And I am asserting and maintaining that truth can be known, that there is an authority. It is not reason. It is not feelings. It is not the church. It's not any church. It is the book called the Bible. Hopefully your, your church, hopefully this church is preaching truth, but truth is what God has said and revealed to us in his word. And so to put on the belt of truth is to receive God's word as truth. And so here, here's the question that we, we, we all need to wrestle with day in and day out is what is the, the ultimate source of authority or the ultimate source of truth in our lives? What is the ultimate source of authority or truth in our lives? Is it God's word or is it uh, how I feel today? Or is it what others are saying? If, if we're really gonna put on the belt of truth, if we're gonna really prepare ourselves for battle, we've gotta have the truth fastened around us. We gotta receive the word of God as truth. And, you know, this first piece of armor, and we'll see in several weeks, the last piece of armor, like I mentioned, the, the, the sword of the spirit, both of the, the first and the last pieces of armor, both have to do with the word of God. It's because everything begins and ends with the word of God, God revealing himself to us. It all begins and ends there, the objective truth of God. And so the very first thing, to put on truth We've got to receive the word of God as truth. But then number two, we've got to stand on truth. We've got to stand on it, which means I don't just believe it. It means I love it. And I'm going to build my life upon this. This is going to be the foundation of my life. Because like I said, what is true and right in our lives, it can't be based on what feels right. And it can't be based on what popular opinion says. Because if you've been alive for more than a minute, you know from year to year, from decade to decade, from generation to generation, what is true and right in the world's eyes changes. It shifts. It's like shifting sand. You never know where it's going to land. And so we can't base what is true and right in our lives on, on something that changes. We've got to base it on something that is unchanging which is the word of God. And I would, I would dare say that our, our biggest daily struggle in our lives from day to day, day in and day out, our biggest daily struggle is in this fight of discerning between truth and lies, discerning the truth from lies. I mean, if you were to think about this past week of your life, if you've struggled in any way, it's probably because you were trying to figure out in your head, is what I'm thinking, is what I'm believing really true, or is this a lie? I didn't say this in the first service, but um, 
Mondays for me are a day, the day when I, as a pastor, and I've heard this from other pastors as well, I do the most battle in my life where there's lies that are coming into my head about who I am or about my worth. I mean, literally, if I'm being really honest, the moment I pull, pull off of uh, this campus and I'm driving home, I'm beating myself up and I'm like, man, I should have said this or I wish I didn't say loin so much or whatever. You know, there's things and I'm, I'm beating myself up and I'm hearing these voices in my head. And then Monday, the day after, um, I'm hearing voices about, man, you're, not, you're no good at this. You, shouldn't, you should quit right now. Man, you're no good. There's all these lies. And so Mondays, for me, are days where I'm fighting a battle between trying to discern, okay, God, what have you said is true about who I am and about my future? And what are, what are lies that I need to just cast aside? And I would, again, dare say that most of our daily struggle is, is discerning what is truth? What, is, what has God said is true? about who he is, about who I am, about the future. That from the lies that the enemy and our flesh and others would want, to, would want to sell to us. Because the reality is our enemies lie to us. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Our enemies, the scriptures define as the world and the flesh and the devil are always spitting out lies to us. The world, and by the world I mean our culture at large that doesn't follow the way of God. The world lies to us because the world's agenda, which again, in Ephesians 2, it says it's under the control of the enemy of God, of, of Satan, who is over this, this spiritual realm. And the, the world's agenda for you and for me is to conform us into its image. God's agenda for us is to conform us into the image of Christ. And the world will lie to us and try to sell us a bill of goods so that we'll walk in those works of darkness. And so the world will lie to us. Our flesh will lie to us. And our hearts will lie to us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Like our heart and our flesh will lie to us to get what it wants. And it'll lie to us. If we don't know the truth, the, the, the devil, the enemy of God will lie to us. In fact, we talked about it last week. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's always trying to twist the truth. That's his MO from the beginning. In the garden with Adam and Eve, you know what he did? He came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say this? Is that really what God said? I think you misunderstood. I think he's holding out on you. I think this is really what God said. He's, he's forever trying to deceive and twist the truth. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11 describes him as one who masquerades as an angel of light. He wants to look like an angel of light. He wants to look like he's delivering good news to us, but he's, he's lying to us. Our enemies lie to us. And you know what, I wish, and I wish I could come up here this morning and give you some brilliant, like brand new, deep insight about how to live a victorious life in Christ. And I don't, I don't have anything new to tell you. It's really the same old, boring, basic, fundamental, and yet so foundational thing that we say over and over and over and over. The way that we have victory is, man, we love God's book. We love his word that he has given to us. It reveals to us who he is and what he's like and how much he loves us and, and the fact that he's brought us victory. Man, we've got to love this book. We need to read it and study it and read about it and talk about it with others and to build our lives upon it. We've got to stand on this truth. We've got to make it our foundation and let it shape everything about us. Psalm 51, verse 6, David is in the midst of confessing this incredible sin of adultery and murder in his life, and he comes to God, and he's confessing and repenting, and he says in Psalm 51, 6, to the Lord, he says, Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What, what, what David knew here was that God delights in truth being inside of us and truth taking its place in us. Psalm 119.11, David in another place said, I've stored up or I've hidden or treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
So, so, so David said, man, I love your word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to store it in my heart so that I can, I can win these battles. I'm going to stand on your truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus, you know, the, the end of this verse, if you look at uh, John 8, verses 32, it, the whole world knows this phrase, that the truth will set you free, right? Everybody knows that, whether they've ever been the church in their life or not. But you can't miss the context. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, these were followers of Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, to abide means to to remain or to stay or to kind of settle or to, to linger. You know, I think of the old word that back in the day people talked about. I don't know if I ever heard anybody really use this word, but my abode. This is my humble abode, right? This is my home. This is the place where I dwell, where I hang out. And what Jesus says that if, you're, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You know how you discern if somebody's really a follower of Jesus? Like, do you hang out in his word? Do you love his book? He says, and Jesus' words, not mine. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. Why? Because my word is truth. My, my word is truth. If you abide in my word, you, you, you will know the truth and then the truth will set you free because the truth is my word. It's not your truth. It's not my truth. It's God's truth. And when you abide in my word, Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will give you freedom in your life. It'll give you a victory in your life. And the brutal reality of our lives, of, Christian, of the Christian life is this, that we will never experience a life of victory without developing a love of truth. We will never experience a life of victory without developing a love of truth. We gotta love what is true. We gotta be willing to lay aside the lies and be willing to let God reshape our thoughts and our minds so we can have the mind of Christ so that we can know the truth and love the truth. And, and Jesus, a couple chapters uh, later in, in John 15, he said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll produce much fruit. Okay, so if you hang out in my word, if you abide in me and let me abide in you, you'll produce much fruit. And he, he goes on to say, for without me, does anybody know what he says next? You can do nothing. If you don't abide in me, if you don't dwell in me, if you don't hang out in my word and my truth, man, you're gonna produce no fruit in your life. You're gonna have no victory. And so you and I, we will never experience a life of victory without developing a love of truth. It's the same old thing that we say over and over and over, but it's so foundational. It's, it's like the belt that we put on to hold our pants up. We need the truth of God to hold our lives together. So we receive the word of God as truth. We, we stand on truth. In other words, I love it. I build my life on it. And then the third thing is that we, we walk in it. We walk in truth. We walk in truth, which simply means I'm going to live in obedience to it. I'm going to obey it. I, I believe it. I love it. I'm going to build my life on it. I'm just going to, I'm going to walk in obedience to what God says. And I love how the psalmist says in Psalm 86, verse 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord. And teach me your way. Don't, don't just teach me a bunch of verses so I can memorize and, and know your, your book cover to cover, even though it's a great thing. No, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I, I, don't, I don't want any divided affections. Teach me your way so that I can walk in truth, so that I can live a life of obedience that honors you and glorifies you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, John is writing this letter to, and he says, I write to you fathers, and, and what he's doing here is he's writing to spiritual fathers. There's different levels of like spiritual growth and maturity, and so when we come to Christ, it says that we're born again, we're born spiritually, and then we grow through these phases of kind of like a young man phase, and then this phase of fatherhood. And, and John says here, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. But then he transitions and says, I write to you young men. So make sure you understand the context. Young man, so you're not a new baby Christian. 
but man, you're growing. You're growing, and he says, and you're strong. Okay, just like a teenage young man is growing, and they're growing strong. They're like, I'm gonna be able to take dad down soon, right? They're growing, they're strong. Here's what he says. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. There's that word again. He says, the word of God, it abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Why? It's because the word of God is getting in you and you're growing and you're maturing and your faith and you're getting strong and now you're able to overcome the lies. You're able to overcome the enemy because this book is getting in you. It's changing the way you think and the way that you walk and you're becoming a strong young man. And then he gets to fathers and say, he says, you don't just know the word, you know him who is from the beginning. You know, the, you know God. So the way you walk, the way that you and I walk, it's, it's really, it's, it's the truest indicator of what we really believe. So if we say we believe something is true, but then we don't live like it's true, then we, we really don't believe that it's true. Let me give you an example of this. So back in 2008, uh, I remember at this point in my life, um, had been married for, gosh, uh, 10 years, nine, nine years, I can do math. Um, my wife and I, we'd had our third child, our third boy, and my wife had some um, baby weight that she wanted to lose, and I had some just like lazy weight <laughs> that I needed to shed, right? We had done the fr- freshman 15 plus, 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 you know, in our 20s and having kids. And we got to this place where we're like, okay, we need to change something in our life. We were just feeling like, ugh. So we started, we changed the way that we ate. We started changing the way that we, um, you know, we became more active in our life. Um, And I always point back to 2008. It was a big turning point kind of in our lives and in our physical health. But the thing that I like to brag about the most, because I'm still just like, amazed. Only by the grace of God could this have happened. Like the biggest change in my life is that I started drinking water a lot. So prior to that, if you had asked me, do you think drinking water is good? Is it a healthy thing to do? I would have said, oh yeah, absolutely. And if you turn around and said, well, how often do you drink water? I would have said, oh, never. I never drink water. It's mealtime. Okay, give me some soda or some pop or some Coke, depending on where we were living in the country at that time. Like, give me something. I'll even drink Kool-Aid. I don't care if it's got sugar, if it's got taste, give it to me. I don't want to drink water because there's, there's no flavor, right? There's nothing. And so as we begin to change, uh, actually, one of the things that precipitated the change to me drinking water is I got a kidney stone. And uh, I just wasn't, I was taking in protein and all kinds of stuff. I wasn't drinking water. And so I was like, I never want to feel that way again. I all of a sudden love water. <laughs> and so I, dr- I started drinking water like a fool. And I still do. I still do. It's like if you see me on a Sunday morning, I'm either talking to somebody, getting ready for something, or I'm going to the bathroom <laughs> because I'm drinking water so much. And that was a, such a huge change in my life. But again, if you had said, do you believe drinking water is good for you? I would have said, yes. Was I doing it? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. But now... I do. I really believe it. You can look at my life and go, okay, he must really think that water is, is good for you. In fact, I started drinking, okay, this is just for, you, for all of you here in the South. I drink unsweet tea. Sorry, I had to get up the courage to admit that, to confess that. Um, because I hate, I loved sweet tea. I hated unsweet tea because I'm like, no flavor drink water enough, and you go, okay, unsweet tea has a little bit of flavor, so I drink unsweet tea. I still love sweet tea, too, but uh, where was I? We're going to move right along, all right? <laughs> but what you believe, what you and I believe, and this comes to what we, what we believe about truth, right? It's easy to say, well, I believe the Bible. I believe that it's, it's God's word, that it's God's revelation of him to, to, to me, and I believe that if I live according to his word, man, I'll experience victory and I'll have the kind of life that he's designed me for. But then we don't actually get into it. And if we don't really abide in it, then the question has got to be for all of us. The brutal question is, like, like are my words and my walk congruent? Are they, are they harmonious? Because if I really believe this was going to, help me in my life, 
man, I would, I would stand on it and I would walk in it. I would give my life to it. One of the things John said later on in First John, uh, sorry, Third John, one, he was writing a letter again to another spiritual son in the faith, uh, a gentleman named Gaius. He wrote in Third John one, he said, "For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth." And John's like, man, I'm so excited to hear that you're walking in the truth. And here's, here's a verse that could apply to every parent in the room when it comes to your kids physically. But John said about a spiritual son in the faith, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And everyone who's a parent would, would echo the sentiment that when I know my kids are walking in the truth, they're following the Lord, man, there's no, there's no greater joy there's no greater heartache for the heart of a parent either than to have a kid who's not walking in the truth, it's walking with the Lord. But John said, man, there's nothing that brings me greater joy in my life than to know that my spiritual kids in the faith are living in obedience to God. Because I know that you're gonna experience victory and you're gonna experience blessing. You're gonna go through struggle, but you're right where God wants you to be because you're walking in the truth. And so putting on the belt of truth, it's receiving God's word as truth. It's standing on truth. It's walking in or living in obedience to the truth. And so truth is, is again, like a belt holds our lives together and it, it prepares us to fight. So let me give you a couple really quick ways to put on the belt. How do we put on the belt? Two simple illustrations or, or, or applications of this. Number one is this. Each time you put on a physical belt, pray on your spiritual belt. How many of you wear a physical belt? Just raise your hand for me. All right. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I don't even know why I asked that. I just thought it'd be fun to ask who wears a belt, all right? Thanks for sharing your, your wardrobe preferences, all right? Maybe you don't wear a belt and you're like, well, I can never do that, sorry. Okay, whenever you pull up your britches, whatever you do, whenever you gird your loins, all right, physically, let that be a physical reminder of a spiritual action. When you put on your physical belt, pray on your spiritual belt. And, and this is really how you put on every piece of armor because it's, these are spiritual things. We don't put them on physically. We pray them on. So maybe what this looks like is, you know, when I walk into my closet, I, you know, swing the door open and there's my rack of um, belts. And so as I pick out a belt and start putting it on, maybe I begin to pray. Maybe this is a time where I can abide in the Lord as I get ready to start my day. Hopefully you're not putting on your belt at like 2.30 p.m., right? Hopefully you're starting your day and it's a reminder as you start the day, Lord, I want to put on the belt of truth. I believe your word. I believe that you revealed yourself to me. And so I want to live today according to, I want to stand on your truth. I know that I'm going to hear lies and accusations and things from the enemy and from my own flesh and from the world. So God, help me discern your truth from the lies that are going to come into my head and my heart. Lord, I want to walk in your truth today. So I'm putting on the truth. Would you help me today, Lord, to walk in truth and so maybe as you physically fasten that belt, you spiritually pray on or fasten your belt of truth. But, but then a second thing that kind of goes hand in hand with this is to soak in the truth of God's word every day. Soak in the truth of God's word every day. And I use that terminology very intentionally. Soak in it. Okay, when, I think of, when I think of this idea of soaking, uh, I think of the, the difference between taking a shower and taking a bath. All right. Um, when you take a bath, it's like, or when you take a shower, it's in and out, right? Um, for some of you, uh, maybe you're in there for a good 15 minutes or whatever. But uh, a bath, you're like, you're gonna soak, like you're gonna stay in there until you get the old, you know, pruny fingers, right? Wrinkly hands. That's how you know that you've been soaking, right? You've been in there for a while. And the reason I say soak in God's, the truth of God's word each day is because it's easy for us as followers of Jesus to go, okay, I need to read my Bible today. And so I'm going to go in, I'm going to read this chapter, I'm going to read this, this number of verses. And we kind of do it like we're taking a shower. We're like in and we're out. We read through it and then we're out the door. And we're like, okay, I read the Bible today. Check mark. I'm good. I'm ready to fight today. But the reality is 
we haven't, we may have gotten into the Bible, but we didn't allow the Bible, the truth of God's word, to get into us. We didn't abide there with him. We didn't soak in it. We didn't stay long enough for our fingers to get wrinkly. You know what I'm saying? We need to soak in the truth of his words because the stuff that we consume, y'all, if you spend much time in social media or watching the news or listening to people in general, man, you are soaking in all kinds of half-truths and untruths and lies that we need to soak in the word of God in order to reframe our thinking and so let me give you a, a, another tool or resource. I love to do this. Um, you know, I've talked about the Bible app. There's reading plans in there. Maybe you're looking for a devotional that kind of lays something out for you each day. Uh, my favorite one, I've probably mentioned this before, is one called New Morning Mercies uh, by a guy named Paul Tripp. It's a one page every day. Uh, he's written a little devotional, and then there's a pas- passage of scripture that you go to and you read. And, and this is one of the ways that I soak in the scriptures. I, I do the journaling thing, which I, I think I told you about at the beginning of this year where sometimes I don't even, I don't even really know how to soak in the word, but I just write out the scriptures and I kind of just meditate on it and think about it. And as I write it, man, it's forcing me to soak in the word. And so this is a great resource. Um, I bought this, I got this probably, I don't know, five years ago, but I've started this year going through it again every day. And man, it's so rich and so helpful. So if you're looking for a resource to soak in the truth of God's word, this is a great one, New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. But as we, as we close today, talking about this, this idea of the truth, the belt of truth, you know, one of the reasons why you and I experience so much turbulence in our lives, and you all get what turbulence is, right? If you've flown on a plane, hopefully you haven't experienced, you know, the, the rocky, bumpy uh, ride. Um, but we all experience turbulence in our lives. It, our lives, we get tossed around, Right? We get tossed around and sometimes it's hard to stand and sometimes it's hard to stand firm. We, we experience a lot of turbulence and, and I think the reason that we experience so much, so much turbulence in our lives is because we, maybe not even willingly, but we allow ourselves to be led by our feelings and we allow ourselves to be led by our fears and we allow ourselves to be led, led by the opinions of, of others. And, and again, I'm telling you, it's shifting saying there's a lot of turbulence when we allow those things to lead us rather than the truth of what God has, has said, rather than, than loving and living by what is true. And again, this is a daily battle for all of us. And so to put on the belt of truth, remember the belt of truth holds everything together. If your life feels like it's out of control, if, if your life feels incredibly turbulent, listen, reading the Bible is not going to like solve that. But man, this is central to getting down the road of victory. It's strapping on the belt, fastening, like getting that thing tight around the core of your life, that the truth of God's word, man, it's, it's central. It holds your life together and it prepares you and me for the fight. It prepares us for the fight. And I just got to say today, like, man, what a grace from God. What a grace from God that we don't have to spend our life wondering what is true and what is not true. And we don't have to spend our life wandering, wandering around in search of the truth. No, God has given it to us. He has revealed himself to us first in the person of Jesus. And then he put his word on a written page 
and on devices and all of this so that we could know who God is. We could know what he looks like. We could know how he's intended for us to live so that we can walk in his ways, so that we could please him, so that we could experience victory in our lives. What a grace from God that we don't have to go searching for it. Maybe you're searching in your life right now. Can I just tell you that God has revealed himself to you already in his word. And all you have to do, all we have to do is put it on. He's given himself and his word. He's revealed himself to us through his word. All that you and I have to do is put it on. We have to put on the belt of truth that he's so graciously given to us, amen. What a grace from God, let's thank him today. God, I just wanna say this morning, thank you for who you are, thank you for this amazing grace that you came for us, you came to us, you you rescued us by revealing yourself to us. Lord, we could have spent all of our days wandering around in the darkness trying to figure out what is truth. God, the people that we, we rub shoulders with every single day at school, at work, in our family that don't know you, they're wandering around in darkness. They don't understand the truth. The scriptures say that the enemy has blinded their minds to the light of the glorious gospel. And so God, you have you revealed yourself to us and then you've sent us in the battle to go after the souls of men and women, boys and girls, with the good news of the gospel, with the glorious light of your truth, of who you are and what you have done to rescue us. God, thank you that you came to us. Thank you that you've given us truth, that we can build our life upon you. We can build our life upon your word. We can abide there. When all else is falling apart, we can come under the shadow of your wings. We can abide in your presence. We can dwell in your word. We can find safety and refuge there. God, we can know truth. And so God, this morning, I pray for us. I pray for your people. I pray for this church, Lord, that we would be a people who put on the belt of truth, that strap it on, that fasten it around our waist, at the core of of who we are, the thing that holds us together, the, the thing that prepares us for the fight of our lives is your truth, your word, not our feelings, not our fears, not the thoughts and opinions of the world, but God, what you have said is true. God, may that be the belt of truth that holds our lives together. May it be the belt of truth that holds our our church together. It's your your word. And so Lord, we we come to you this morning. We wanna build our lives. We wanna build our church upon you. Thank you for the, the grace of revealing your truth to us through the person of Jesus. We worship you and rejoice in his name today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.